Alrighty. Well, a um, few opening thoughts before we get into uh, the scriptures. So the question I had this week as I was uh, reading and studying, you know, are we disciples of Christ? Are we disciples of Jesus? Um, and, you know, I have to say that the answer that came to me is, yeah, yeah, we're followers of Jesus. But if we are, and, and we are, does Jesus have the same expectations of us that he had of the apostles? And if not, if your answer is no, why do we think we should have all of the delegated authority and power as the apostles did? Um, you know, think on that a moment. You know, we come and we worship and we're stomping our feet, clamping our hands. Um, you know, we're singing, we're declaring, we're decreeing, we're praying. But is it backed up by a desperate, fearful, sacrificial act of faith? Or is it just bluster? Is it just <coughs> emotion? And that's what I want to challenge us with this morning. Jesus told the apostles that they would follow him. And they understood that this meant unto death, martyrdom. And yet they didn't. They didn't understand the full picture. They still hadn't clued in to all that was going to happen. But when they heard this, they were fearful. They were fearful. Um, you could say they were desperate. Jesus had pulled all of these apostles out of their, their families and their careers and their vocations or businesses. He said, come follow me. Give up everything. You know, even your family. Be willing to give that up. And, you know, they, they were desperate. I mean, many of them, you know, when Jesus found some of the apostles, they were fishing and they were striking out and things weren't going good. They were desperate. And, and as they got into this period of time with uh, Jesus as the apostles, they realized they had nowhere else to go. That only he had the words of life. You know, they, they knew they couldn't go anywhere else with anybody else. And at this point in our discussion, our challenge... We've come to the reality of fear and desperation. And these can be either motivators of faith or arresters of faith. If you want to do those greater things that Jesus tells us about in John, you're going to have to press through these two things at a minimum. Fear and desperation. The, the greater things that Jesus spoke of that would come are born out of a greater faith, a greater sacrifice, a greater surrender of our life. And grace makes it possible for each and every one of us to do it. Amen. It is possible for every one of us to do it. Faith isn't static. Faith isn't 
um, just doesn't stay at one level. I mean, our faith should increase. The measure of faith that he gives us should increase as time goes on, as, as things happen, as we, we encounter fear and desperation. But our spiritual focus should be on faith, sacrifice, and surrender. Not accomplishment. Not a claim. Not achieving. The apostles didn't go around lording their authority. We see them going out and spreading the gospel, and sometimes they came back just amazed at what was happening. Sometimes they came back frustrated and beaten up, wondering what happened. But they were out there carrying out the commands of Jesus. And in this church, over the years, we have talked about all the commands of Jesus. We hear them week in and week out. And that is why the apostles were arrested and imprisoned. Not because they were stealing anything. Not because they were committing crimes. Because they were preaching the gospel. And they were carrying out the commands of Jesus to go out and raise the dead to life. To forgive people's sins. To cast out the demons. To preach the gospel. To go knock on the door and say... uh, Peace be with you. And depending on how they responded, they either were welcomed in and stayed there or they didn't. That's why they were arrested. And God is working many amazing miracles through them because of their faith, their sacrifice, and their surrender. So today, this moment, go back with me in, in your, your mind, back to the first century during the time of the Acts of the Apostles. And let's investigate. This is a time when they didn't have running water. They had to haul it. (laughs) This is a time when they lived off the grid. This is a time when the majority of people around them did not believe in this radical Jesus. This is a time when the government and the religious leaders hated Jesus and his followers and wanted to kill him because he didn't agree with their secular values, because they were jealous of him being worshipped and not them. He didn't want to join the club of politicians. He was the club. This is a time when the apostles were calling out the leaders for their corruption and their carnal behavior. Hmm, maybe things haven't changed so much after that. <laughs> Turn with me to Acts chapter 5. <laughs> Acts chapter 5. We're going to be, pick up uh, one of these faith stories in verse 17. Are you there? But the high priest rose up, along with all of his associates, that is, the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. They laid hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison, and taking them out, he said, Go, stand and speak to the people in the temple 
the whole message of this life. Upon hearing this, upon hearing this, they entered into the temple about daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest and his associates came, they called the council together, even all the senate of the sons of Israel, and sent orders to the prison house for them to be brought. But the officers who did not who came did not find them in the prison, and they returned and reported back, saying, We found the prison house locked quite securely, and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened it up, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple guard and the chief priest heard their words, these words, they were greatly perplexed about them as to what would come of this. But someone came and reported to them, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple teaching the people. Okay, I lost my... Now then, the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence, for they were afraid of the people that they might be stoned. All right, how far am I going here? You said 26 on the... 26, okay. Yeah. I guess I could turn around. All righty. So, this is kind of fascinating. Go and go stand in the temple and preach the gospel. The reality of this is the temple they were told to go stand in was not a church of born-again believers. It was Jews who did not believe in Jesus. And they were to go. And keep that in the back of your mind here as we go through this message and think how it might apply in our day and age. And might be kind of shocking. Um, so that's one story. So they were doing the things that, that Jesus commands us to do and they weren't lifted up, they weren't rewarded. They were arrested and imprisoned. Turn with me to Acts 12 now. He let him out of prison, but he sent him to the spot where they knew they were going to be in front of the people who put him in the prison. Like, they knew they would be arrested again instead of, yeah. you know, Amen. and yet they were still obedient to go and do what he told them Amen. instead of going and hiding or yeah. Whatever we might do, like, oh, I'm out of jail and I don't want to go back. And they knew that if they went and did what he told them, they'd be right back where they yeah. were. Great point. Great point. Um, Acts 12. Now, about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. This is uh, James and John, uh, brothers. He was an apostle, one of the original twelve. Verse three: When he saw that it pleased, when Herod saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of the unleavened bread. When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church of God. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. 
bound with two chains. And guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and the light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter's side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And his angel said to him, Gird yourselves and put on your sandals. And he did so, and he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow. And he did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Ten, when they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the, king of, from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark. Catch this, where many were gathered together and were praying. When he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that it was Peter standing in front of the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. They kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison. And he said, report things, these things to James and the brethren. Now, there was a second James, the brother of Jesus. That's, so James wasn't, they weren't going to say, go talk to the dead guy. Two Jameses. <coughs> then he left and went to another place. Now when the day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. When Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away to execution. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. Again, fear and desperation. The church was huddled together with the gate closed and they were praying. They really had nothing else they could do. And they were, they were having to deal with the fact that James, one that they were intimately familiar with, would be like any one of us, like, you know, Bob getting pulled out and killed and his head cut off. It would seriously shock us. And they were gathered together. And then Peter, you know, so then maybe they pick up David and yank him out of there and go put him in prison. Peter was next on the list to be killed. And they weren't just, you know, given uh, sleeping pills. I mean, their head was cut off. It, brutal. And as Herod knew, if, if once he got a chance to kill Peter, it would be devastating to the church. Uh, let's read one more example out of Acts. Turn to chapter 16. Verse 20.
And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which it is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore the robes off of them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. 25. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fury, fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. So here again, the faith... The surrender and the sacrifice of Paul and Silas caused God to move in miraculous ways and sending his angel and, and it was going to be a testimony about God to the public around him. So what we've read about here, just a few of the great acts of faith that we see of the apostles and disciples in the first century. And here's the thing about great, great acts of faith. They are seldom born out of calm calculation. For example, it wasn't logic that caused Moses to raise his staff on the bank of the Red Sea. It wasn't medical research that um, convinced Naaman to go dip into the river seven times to be healed from leprosy. It wasn't common sense that caused Paul to abandon the law and embrace grace. And too often, these are what we stand on, right? Logic, medical research, and common sense. And it wasn't a confident committee that prayed in that small room in Jerusalem for Peter's release from jail. Could you repeat that? The three things you were saying, just saying, I'm sorry. Logic, medical research, and common sense. Uh, those were not the things that we depended upon. And it wasn't the things that motivated these acts of faith that we read about in the Bible. Yeah, it wasn't like, oh, I got to cure my leprosy because. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, again, it wasn't, you know, in that room in Jerusalem, the church was praying. That wasn't like this confident committee just praying and saying words, good words, uh, for them, for Peter to be released from prison. In fact, it was a fearful, desperate band 
of believers, they were backed into the corner. Uh, they had nothing else they could do. It was, it was a church with no options. No options. They were a congregation of have-nots pleading for help from God. And we know, the Bible says, that God hears the cries and the pleas of the poor, the needy, the broken, um, the victims of injustice, the widows, the orphans. At the beginning of every great act of faith, there is often a seed of fear and desperation. It's, it's one of those things, if we're ever at that point, we feel it. Um, we just, we know we have nothing to lose, and this is the only thing we can do, is believe, is to pray. Yeah. Admittedly, it should be the first thing. But we're human. So sometimes we wait until that fear and desperation come. Um, it, it, great acts of faith are so born out of well-funded initiatives. Too much sufficiency generates lazy and bad decisions. Abundance causes the church to look to and depend upon the wrong thing. What if we depend upon ourselves. We depend upon our church treasury or money. And well-funded organizations and initiatives often make bad decisions and lazy decisions by spreading the largesse and the treasury around to unworthy initiatives and to uh, friendship and people that are part of the in crowd instead of doing what God calls us to do. Great acts of faith are seldom born out of comfort. <laughs> How many of us have been real comfortable and say, hey, now it's time for a great act of faith? <laughs> you did? <laughs> well, yeah, but uh, generally, when we're comfortable, we're not pursuing a great act of faith. And why? Um, comfort only generates long-distance, hands-off type of support. Um Comfort produces leftovers and scraps, right? You know, so um, let's give out the big chunks of money to the the in crowd, the people that really aren't needy, the people that are doing things that are, uh, you know, popular instead of botchery. Yeah. <coughs> and then, oh, we have a little bit left over. Eh, let's go ahead and give it to you know those guys out and ask them things. <coughs> That's like giving, like, oh, I got a wallet full of cash, but here you get the quarters in my pocket. Yeah. But, you know, <coughs> instead of saying, oh, I'll just give you the dollar bill. And, but, and that's coming from comfort. Yeah. Um, comfort doesn't feel a thing. Comfort doesn't feel a thing. Pain, now pain generates action, right? Yeah. When, we, when we have pain, we're going to do something about it. And Comfort doesn't go out into the streets and byways, right? We're comfortable. Why, why would we do that? My grandma would say that money doesn't make you happy, but it makes you comfortable while you're miserable. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Amen. 
Great acts of faith are seldom born out of self-centered thinking. Thinking of and wanting to serve others requires great faith and produces great acts of faith. Great acts of faith produce spiritual outcomes. This is how you can tell it's a great act of faith. Uh, what are some examples? Like this morning in our scripture in Acts, it was the jailer. Paul and Silas's <coughs> actions, their acts of faith, brought that jailer to Jesus and his whole family. What about Herod? He was Israel's great enemy. He was pursuing the apostles. He was getting ready to kill Peter. But because of his pride and his ego and his um, being against God, against Jesus, he ended up falling dead and getting eaten by worms. Ooh, Nobody that, touched him. This is God at work. God will fight our battles. God made a way when there was no way. Because the church had prayed. Truly. They came exactly. together yeah. to pray. Just like you know, your wife was praying for her when she's in the middle of her accident. Yeah. The Lord covered her. Amen. So, what do we see here? Fear and faith work together in the body of a believer. Fear and faith work together. If the believer is fearful before stepping out, <clears throat> only faith will cause them to make that step. Common sense won't. Logic won't. Confidence won't. No, because you won't have it when you're um, fearful. Um, desperation and faith work together in the body of a believer. Desperation is a real faith mover. A desperate person has nothing left to lose. They're dangerous. They're dangerous. There's nothing else they can do. They must believe and pray just like that church praying for Peter in Acts. So why were these believers put in jail? And how did they respond? And who else was praying? We've kind of talked about this already, but during the time of the Acts of the Apostles, as part of the church, you could be either the believer who's in jail, or you could be the believer who's behind the lock gates in the church praying for those mm -hmm. that are in the jail. I mean, that is, is the situation and the risk that believers took back in that early age, coming out and being believers in Christ. Yeah. Um, now because, that's big too, because in the prison systems and jails, there's a lot of them finding Christ and Jesus mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. that, you know, yeah. And they're real about it, not just something to do while they're in prison. Yeah. Right. Amen. So, like today, you know, back then and like today, if you're the one that stays at home and doesn't come to church because you think you can be a Christian and not go to church, well, those fear and desperation demons will overtake you. It's almost a guarantee. Almost guaranteed. And the question is, how can you have a church praying for you if you're not part of it? They don't know you. How, how are they going to know? Um, we bring prayer requests in for people outside of church, but that's because you're here. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody knew you and asked you to bring that prayer request. But there are so many people out there that don't have that connection whatsoever. And it should break our heart. Um, 
You know, we should be asking ourselves, I cannot understand how somebody could go through life without Jesus. I can't understand. Hard enough without friends. Got to let them know. So we today are living in a time when fear is being presented to us daily, moment by moment. It's the dominant weapon of Satan, fear and deception right now. And it's causing instability in the minds of those not connected to the vine. You see it? You see so much of the population out there that aren't connected to the vine and their, their mind is unstable? Yeah. Um, those who don't have a life that are built upon the rock is causing that instability in their minds. Stability is, the, is a dominant attribute of the life of people of the way, people whose lives are built on the rock, people who are connected to the vine. This local church is a strong tower. It's the branch connected to the vine. It is the house built upon the rock of Jesus, and we are the people of the way. You will not find fear-mongering here. You will not find confusion and chaos here. You'll find grace, love, mercy, and Jesus here. And these are all things that we need. Every one of us need. So you might be saying, well, thanks, but no thanks. You might be thinking, my life doesn't have anything causing desperation or fear. Life is pretty blessed. It's collecting along just fine. Thanks for asking. Well, consider the circumstances that the disciples were involved in. They were out preaching the gospel in the public and the churches of non-believers. If you're not feeling fear of desperation, we got a plan for you. we got a place for you to volunteer. Why, you know, that fear and desperation... Because we're planning for something, or there's something we think in front of us that's like we're reaching for, or we want, and we need, oh, this, that, whatever. And then it's like, I get that myself, but you just never know what's going to happen, too. Because get hit by a semi driving down the road because he fell asleep. <laughs> so it's like, well, I'm just trying to live more for the now and what's happening around me versus. But we, we need to live. Well, yeah. For heaven. Yeah. Well, I know, but but in the now is what I mean. Like, yeah, we because you're only here now, yeah. not guaranteed tomorrow is what I'm yeah. saying. And usually, fear and desperation is worried about what's going to happen. Yeah, that's, what what, could yeah, that's what I was trying to yeah. get at. It's like the song "Amazing Grace" is, was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. Amen. 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 So if you're, if you're walking in the way of Jesus, you're fighting against the devil. And if there's no restriction or friction in your life and you're comfortable, you ain't walking with the Lord. That's how I look at it. Well, I mean, the more stress... You may be walking with the Lord, but maybe you aren't stepping out doing the things that Jesus has commanded us to do. Absolutely. You're, you're staying huddled up and we're Carry. safe. Carry. Yeah, where it's comfortable. Yeah. Um, you know, 
don't get me wrong, Jesus, I'm not telling you that Jesus is calling you to flex your muscles and go out in your own strength and do act, great acts of faith. Totally opposite of what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is we have to surrender. Um, like we were talking about earlier, giving preference to one another. We have to sacrifice something that is important to us, something we want, and let somebody else go first. Sacrifice something for them. When we start doing these things, we're going to see God work on our behalf in amazing ways. Um, now we get to this collision point of grace. We, we can either be out there doing the things of Jesus and we're running into those things or maybe we're staying hidden. But if, we, if we're letting God's grace work in and through us and move us out, we're going to hit that collision point. A collision point of fear, desperation, whatever else comes at us, anxiety. And this is when grace empowers us to press through. Press through. Because of faith. Not because we know how it's going to work out. Not because we think that we have the personal ability to conquer it. It's God. He deserves the credit. We all know that in Christ, we are not part of the in crowd in the world. We aren't the quote-unquote qualified. We aren't the, the richest people in the world. In fact, what are we? We are the richest we people are. in the world. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, money more. Yeah. 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 Can't get anything past you guys. <laughs> Wait a minute. But, but we are the set apart, are we not? Amen. We are set apart. In fact, the Bible would describe us as aliens. Be proud of that. We're different. We're different from the world. It's okay. In fact, we are the joy-filled, grace-filled, standing on the rock, and won't be moved, sent ones. Amen. I don't think I got enough yelling on that. I got to say <laughs> We are the joy filled, grace filled, standing on the rock, won't be moved, sent ones. That's a little more like it. And sadly, but realistically, we are, the, we are hated by the world because of Jesus. They hated him first. So don't be surprised. Don't let it, don't let it consume you. Um, just let it ro roll off your back right. and respond with grace and kindness and Jesus' love. And we say, come Lord Jesus, come. Amen. Let's uh, gather around and pray for one another. <laughs>